in 2010, about nine years ago, DC Comics decided that they needed to reboot Superman. And so they tried to make him appeal to a new generation of comic book readers, and they wanted to make him a little more early millennial. So they tried to make him edgy and angsty and confused about his direction in life, and he wore a hoodie. Anybody remember those days, comic book fans out there? You know, just edgy Superman, real unsure about his career path. And so he was investigating all these different careers Superman was, and at one point, Ma Kent came to him, and she offered him this advice. She said, Superman, I don't care what you do. If you want to be the best banjo player in the world, play the banjo. All that matters is that you're happy. Now, I read that and I thought to myself, that is the dumbest advice that anyone can give to Superman. He's Superman, right? He's Superman. So he's got power far beyond, you know, our immortal, you know, powers. And, and if he, with all of that power, just plays the banjo, that's a waste. <laughs> that's a waste for all of us. That would make me so mad to know that that dude could fly around solving some stuff and, you know, he's just, you know, he's just doing that. And so now let me say this, if you're a banjo player, I'm not knocking on your game this morning, you know, play the banjo with all of your heart and soul. But part of the problem is making happiness your goal. Happiness is a bad goal. Happiness is a byproduct of taking your power and leveraging it for a purpose greater than yourself. Amen? And for him to have all of that power, it, it's in us. We want to say, serve a greater purpose, right? Do something more with it, um, you know, to do something great with your life. So play the banjo if you want, Mr. Superman, but you've been given so much more to do good in the world for the sake of others. So leverage your life for that, right? Doesn't you make, make you want to say that? And if you play the banjo, play it for us, not just for your happiness. Happiness will be a byproduct and a result, but use your power for greater purpose. That's where happiness comes from. Now, why say all this? Because we've been in this series, Survival Skills, this is week six, I believe, talking about wisdom. And the Bible cares about whether or not you have wisdom, the ability to understand the way the world works and work well within it. That's the conversation we've been having. In the last couple of weeks, we kind of focused on wisdom as it relates to relationships, how you navigate relationships will determine the quality of your life and whether or not you have a legacy in this world. So we talked about how to navigate sex, how to navigate friendships, how to deal with uh, fools. We talked about money, stuff like that. But now this week, what we're talking about is forces. We're beginning in the second leg of this deal where it's talking about power that every single one of us in the room has power. God has put in our hands some very volatile things that can be harnessed and used for good for us in the world or harnessed and used for very bad things for us in the world or not really harnessed at all in a waste of potential. Power like how we deal with money or, or how we deal with sex. And then today we're talking about a force of power that God's given every single one of us that every single one of us has power to harness for the good in the world or harness for evil or not harness at all and really waste in our lives, and that is the power of communication, the power of your words. And by words, I don't just mean, you know, speaking. Um, the book of Proverbs will talk about the winking of an eye, the, the signaling with the hands. It's talking about our ability to communicate ideas and thoughts to other people and influence the way that they think and feel and make decisions. All of us have been given this incredible power called communication. And so the question is, how are we going to use it? Would you stand with me as we read our base text this morning? And would you please say them out loud with me? The book of Proverbs will say in verse 18, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 21, chapter 18. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So the power of death and life is in the tongue, what we say. And those who love it, who understand its potential, will eat its fruits and will benefit from applying wisdom to it. God, speak to our hearts this morning. We love your word. We love you. We want to be different as a result of hearing your word and being in your presence this morning. We love you. Speak to us. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Okay. 
First on your notes, behold the power of words. <laughs> behold the power of words. Words are a powerful thing. If you are skilled at putting them together, the boxing announcer, anybody know Michael Buffer, has made at least $4 million in licensing deals over the sentence that he trademarked. Anybody know it? Let's get ready to rumble. $4 million. You know, if so, you could make a lot of money if you could put words together well. A Tale of Two Cities would not have made near as much money if it started with, it was the best of times, but it was also kind of lame or whatever, right? Right? It wouldn't have sold 200 million copies. If you can put words together, it can do good things. So think about this. You have a job primarily because of what you said, right? What you say will many times get you hired, and what you say can also lose a job for you, right? People are losing their jobs because of unwise stuff they've posted on social media now. That's a thing. You say the wrong thing to the wrong guy at the wrong time, and you're gone. Your words can determine if you work or if you don't work. Your words will help determine your love life. You can potentially get a date based on what you say, right? You know what kind of material this is? Boyfriend material. <laughs> That's probably not going to work for you. You've got to do better than that, right? You've got to use your words wisely. But if you speak well, you might get a date. If you say something goofy like that, you may not. Your ability to get married and have children and continue your family name depends largely on what comes out of your mouth. Did you know that your career will be determined by your words? Your love life will be determined by your words. Your friendships, a well-placed compliment has kick-started many friendships. And an offhand comment made when you're angry probably destroyed some right? Some of you, you've seen that happen in your own life, that somebody said something cruel about you and you never forgot it. So Proverbs will say, rash words are like the thrust of a sword. Some of you, the deepest pain in your life is because someone with authority in your life said something in anger that stamped itself on, your on who you are, your identity, and you think about it when you look in the mirror. Some of you, the most painful thing in your life was a word spoken over you, like the thrust of a sword. And, and others of you, your biggest pain is the emptiness that's there because someone had the power to speak life over you and they never said it. And so you feel like your sense of self and your decisions would be different if they would have looked at you and at that critical moment and they would have said, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm grateful for you. That would have changed everything and you just didn't get those words. Words have the power to shape our destiny, right? The right word will land you a job, and the right word will lose you a job. The right word will get you a date. The wrong word can get you punched in the face. Proverbs says that. I'm not even kidding. I quoted this one earlier in the series. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Oh, you know that guy. He was a friend of yours back in the day. And you were in the moment where you were like, you're watching him. You're like, dude, stop talking. Stop. Stop talking. You're going too far. You're frustrating him. You're going to back it off a little bit. And then, pow, you watch it happen. You're like, okay, that was surprising, but not too surprising. You know, he got it coming. He had it coming. He didn't know when to stop. And some of you have gotten a promotion at your work. You haven't got a promotion at your work because you haven't learned how to control your mouth. And you just keep on saying things, and they don't want to hear you, or be around you, or promote you anymore. You know, the, the way you use words can determine your destiny. And the power of death and life, Proverbs says, is in the tongue. So it can heal somebody. Proverbs 13, 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. And some of you, that's your story. That one may turn away from the snares of death, is what it says that you are about to make a decision and somebody came and offered you some wise counsel and you made a different decision. And some of you, you look at that moment in your life and you say, that was a pivot point. You know, I could have put myself in a lot of trouble, but someone came and spoke the words of wisdom to me and over me and I listened to them and I made a different decision and I'm a better person for it. 
So the way you speak can bring life to somebody. And when I say that this morning, I can hear my mom saying it. She preached this message loud and clear for as long as I can remember. She always was telling us kids, speak life, speak life. You can bring life to somebody. An encouraging word can cut through people's pains and give them perspective. Proverbs says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You, you have the power to relieve somebody's anxiety today. You have that power. Did you know that it says in Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. If you speak grace to people, you can be like something that's sweet and strengthening to them. You can save a life. Many of you know um, Christopher Reeves, when I say that name, Christopher Reeves was my Superman. Thank you very much. Um, he starred in several Superman movies. The first two, I think, are the only good ones. That's, you know, we can debate that later. But arguably, he's the best Superman to ever grace the movie screen. So Christopher Reeves, if you recall, if you know his story, he was a very physically built man. And then in a horse riding accident, he fell, he landed on his neck, and he severed his spinal cord, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And so in his biography, he says that in that moment, he thought, my physicality is my whole life. And as soon as I realized in that moment that I lost my body, I thought, I've lost my reason for living. And they came to me and they said, we can hook you up to a machine to keep you breathing or we can let you die. And he said, I was 100% right on the money. Let me die. Let me die. And then my wife came to me in the hospital room and she leaned in my ear and she said, it's your decision to make but you are still you, and I love you. And those two sentences made him make a different choice. Those two sentences made him make a different choice, and he stayed alive. And he didn't just continue to live. He raised millions upon millions of dollars to relieve human suffering around the globe. And he's had arguably a far greater impact than he ever did on that movie screen. Two sentences changed the trajectory of his life and millions of lives around him. Your words can bring life and they can change things. Amen. I started a, a new approach at losing some weight about a week ago. I lost about 15 pounds last year just by watching uh, my calories and staying active. And that wasn't necessarily easy, but I did it. And I was proud of myself. Then as many of you know, um, I came down with pneumonia, which took me out for about four weeks. Took me out. I mean, I was bedridden. It, I was in pain. It, it hurt. I didn't make it here a couple Sundays. It was, it was tough stuff, really rough stuff. Was okay for a couple weeks, and then I got hit again with a really rough cold sinus, you know, congestion thing for another three to four weeks. And by the end, I noticed I had, what, I had gained all of that weight back. And I, I had been sedentary, you know, more than usual. I had been in bed, and that did it. I was back to the beginning, all that hard work. I wanted, let me tell you about my words, I wanted to say some bad ones. <laughs> you know, just being real, my attitude got really negative. And I don't want to be starving and hurting and sweaty again, <laughs> please God, right? And so this new thing that I'm trying now, it starts off with getting you in a community of people. And right up front, when you join this community, we're not, we're not allowed to complain about dieting or staying fit, or what we're eating. And let me tell you, sometimes that's not easy to do, right? But it changes things in community when you're moving towards a shared goal. Try it. Just try it tomorrow when you go back to work. Say no negative words. <laughs> Some of you, you know, you'll go and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Some of you won't even know how to start a conversation. It'll be so confusing. You know, you'll walk in Monday and people are like, Monday morning, right? And you're like, uh, uh, yes, but isn't oatmeal nutritious? I just had a bowl. <laughs> you know, you know, just try to say something. And, and that sounds weird. You might have a hard time at first. Some of us were so accustomed to putting negativity into our conversations. And for me, as I'm starting on this journey again, I've got to find the right words to say. I mean, I know what my mom would have said, speak life, right? She'd say, speak life. And I've been down this road before. I know that after a while, it becomes more natural for me to be positive about this again. And what's happening is I'm immersing myself in this, in this group that's moving towards the same destination within a little positivity can change my whole culture. They're speaking life. That's the power of words. 
That's why um, door greeters and our welcome area team are so important. I love you, Patty, back there. Your job is so important. The lobs, your, your job is so important. People walk in the door, and, and they could be going through some dark, hard, I mean, really, really hard stuff. Some people walk through the door, and they're like, why are you being so kind to me, right? It's like suddenly the world's upside down. It's confusing. We have teams that we're building to serve there because it's about bringing life not only into this room, but into this city. It's that important. How? One way is speaking encouraging words. It's just another way of saying speak life, right? Encouragement to each other. We believe that God could breathe life into each of us through each of us, through each other. It's interesting. Stanford did an experiment on children ages 7 to 10, and they found positivity improved their ability to answer math problems. Any mathematicians in the room? They found that positivity was as much a factor in their success in math as their IQ. Isn't that interesting? Now, that doesn't mean that a positive attitude alone will make you good at math. It doesn't. But man, if you live in a discouraging environment, you're not going to do it as easily. And some of you grew up in that, and you know what that's like. You know, but God's given you the power to speak, and you can make a difference. It says a gentle tongue is a tree of life, the Bible will say. And we can be that for each other. That's what we're meant to be. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, as he spoke to Timothy, said, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And he's creating a pattern for us. That's how we speak to each other. We breathe life into each other. I love seeing you. It brings me joy. If someone says that to you, that would make your day, right? And so I tell you that. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm really blessed to be a part of this community. I feel like I'm surrounded by encouragers. Many of you um, in the room speak uh, so much life into me. And it's not like I'm in the dumps or anything most of the time, but my problems shrink. You know, when, when you do that, and my hope grows inside by just some people just speaking very personal and, and direct encouragement to me, people that don't have to. Some of you know um, Pastor Brent and Tanner, one of our founding pastors here. Um, they're in, they're in, actually in town this week and uh, performed a wedding for uh, Ethan um, Waldrop last night. Got married. Come on, give a shout. So um, might see them a little bit later this morning if you hang around. But he's, they, those guys are amazing, amazing encouragers, aren't they? So amazing. I mean, you know, Pastor Brent, he can say something to me and I can like write on that like fuel for like a year, <laughs> right? Um, he doesn't have to say those things. He can use his words however he wants to whoever he wants, but he's walked up to me and had some things to say that has breathed life into me. One of my best friends, he's an ex excellent example of that. Um, but you and I have that power too. So are we going to use our tongues that way? Are we going to use our tongues that way? Because on the contrary, Scoffers can set a city ablaze, Proverbs says. They, they really can. And some of us, the most dangerous things that have happened to any one of us is when a parent, for instance, took their authority and used their words to hurt us. Some of the most dangerous words you can hear is a spouse or a friend doing that to you. Abraham Lincoln's speech galvanized a nation, right? Hitler's speech, uh, they twisted a nation dark. Every church that has grown is because a group of people believe that God can move and that he was moving and he was going to do it. And they spoke inspiring words to each other. They spoke life, right? Every church that has died has died because people stopped doing that. They began to gossip with each other. And gossip, the Bible says, a whisperer separates close friends. You may not be the most influential person in the room, but all of us are a part of this body. You're like a blood cell. And you get this choice, you know, what are you going to pump into the body? What are you going to pump into us? Are you going to pump in negativity with your words, pump, pumping negativity with your social media accounts? Uh, you have the power over your voice. What are you using it for? Are you pumping death into the system or life into the system? And so I could, at this moment, I could put up things that celebrities have tweeted, either something silly or maybe something bad and it generated all of this anger or politicians who said something that set people on fire and it maybe ruined their careers and I could put up on the screen all the negative or silly things that they've said and we can all laugh at their foolishness but I thought that's so tired 
We've done that. That's like what news is. <laughs> I mean, that's, we've all seen that. So what I wanted to do is I just wanted to grab some social media posts from you guys. And so I was getting some information from you all uh, this week, and I wanted to put some of your tweets and your Facebook messages and your Instas up on the screen so we can evaluate whether or not what you're saying is if you're using your voice positively. So the first one up here on the screen, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that, but some of you are getting nervous. You're like, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you using your words? How are you using your words? You have the power and, and communication. Your communication will determine your destiny and your legacy, right? You, you have power. Will you use it for a greater purpose than you? So here's the question we're going to lean into. How can I speak wisely? What is the best way to use this power of speech that God has given me. I'm going to give you a couple statements here, and then we're going to walk through it for the rest of the time this morning. So wise communication is the right message at the right time in the right way. That's what it is. Those are three key pieces. And if I could update the language a little bit for us today, I would also add that it's real talk, at the right time with a redemptive purpose. That's what wise communication is. It's real talk all throughout, throughout the book of Proverbs, right? We've experienced that as, as we've been reading through. Wisdom champions truth and honesty. Wisdom herself speaks in Proverbs 8, uh, verse 7, and she says, For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Wise speech is truthful speech. It's honest. What I say to you corresponds with reality. I'm not trying to make the, the speech crooked. I'm not trying to bend or twist words. I'm going to say to you things that correspond to what is real and true. That's a gift that you can give to somebody. It's not always an easy gift to give, but it's a gift that you can give to somebody. Wise speech is truthful. I'm going to speak some truth, right? Proverbs 24, verse 26 says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Why do people speak truthfully? Why? Because truth is how we love people. It shows that we love them. Giving people truth that corresponds to reality actually empowers people. It empowers them to understand the world that they live in and make adjustments to improve, right? That's what's great about it. When we ask the question, well, what's a true friend? A lot of times the answer comes back, well, it's the friend that tells me when I got a spinach in my tooth, right? <laughs> They're going to tell you that's a true friend. It's, is the truth always easy to hear? No. But if I would look like <laughs> an idiot in front of somebody if you hadn't told me, then thank you. What a gift, right? It, if it course corrects me, the person who truly loves you will be honest with you, even when the honesty is hard to hear sometimes, but they do it. Why? Because they want to give you reality so you can adjust accordingly, so you can walk in truth. They want to tell you what is true. That's why Proverbs 16, 13 says, righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. So the more authority you get, right, the more people you want to just flatter you, because, or, or the more people that, that um, uh, want to just flatter you because they're more interested in themselves than you, right? So if I flatter that person with power, then maybe I'll get power. And, and so if, if you have power in your life, you know, how, hey, how did this go? Oh, it was great. You're so amazing. You're the best thing ever right? <laughs> and then the leader's going, I don't need people to tell me what I think, what they think that I want to hear. I need people to tell me what they think to help me see reality so I can improve, right? And so I'll tell you something, even in my, my limit experience, the, the leadership that I need sometimes the most is that person who loves me that would come to me and they would say, hey, you know, when you said that, I think you lost all the people in the, in the congregation that morning. And yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, when you, when you hear that, you're like, what? You know, I never lose people. All the people understand me all of the time, you know, <laughs> and all the, all the things that, you know, your ego wants to, to think about yourself instead of, you know, what do you mean it, they didn't seem to like that? And you ask the question and then they say, well, yeah, when you said that, I think it would have landed better if you would have done this. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to course adjust. I'm going to adjust the language 
language so it can be better, uh, so I can lead better, so I can speak to people better, so that I can help create community better when you give me the truth because you empower me then to make changes to make me better, right? It's a gift. Now, on the other side of that, the Bible will say, Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. He says, lying, I hate it. It's an abomination. Why? He says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips in Proverbs 10, 18. He says, the thing is, if you're lying to people, it's because you hate them. That's what he's saying. What do you mean by that? Well, if, you, if I love you, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I want to do what's best for you, and that is to help you see reality so you can adjust accordingly. If I don't care about you, I deceive you. I withhold truth from you that would have empowered you to change. I keep information from you because, you know, maybe, you know, I want to pass you. If they don't know this and I do, maybe I'm going to exceed and I'm going to excel better than them. If she doesn't know that, maybe I'll look better in the moment. And so that we can manipulate truth for our benefit. Dictators do that kind of stuff, Right? And so that's an unloving thing to do. And so the Bible will always champion truth. Now, I know as soon as they say all this, the truth tellers in the room are loving this message. And they're like, oh, yeah, preach. I've been meaning to tell her this and this and this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> um, actually, I've got a, a, there's about three things around here that need to change. Number one, get out your pads, right? <laughs> and so some of you, you just can't wait because you're up and you're ready to give some truth. And you want to tell people how it is. But let me tell you something before you do that. It's not just saying, it's not just, it's not just saying real talk, but it's real talk in the right way, right? That there's a way to be a truth teller that will get you punched, am I right? Because we read that verse too. But there's also a way to do it right that can bring life, that I say the right words in the right way. Proverbs 27, 14 says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Some of you, you've said things at work that you meant to be a blessing, but you chose the wrong time. And so when you're trying to bless people early in the morning before they've had their coffee and they're not, not, not awake or they're not ready, stop talking. <laughs> stop talking. And you meant it to be an encouragement, but it's being counted as a curse. <laughs> Do you see that? What you said was true and good, but your timing was bad. So you got to have the time right as well. Proverbs 25.20 says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. I remember seeing this early in ministry. I was watching some of my peers at a funeral, and some of them were wanting to kind of hurry up this grieving process and expedite everyone towards joy, you know, and hope in Jesus. And, you know, that's, that's true, that we'll see them again one day and, you know, that kind of stuff. But what they were doing is those people who were grieving, they were trying to tell them, don't cry, don't worry, you're going to see them again. And they were trying to hurry up and let the blessing come. But what, was it, what they were actually doing was they were robbing the family of their ability to grieve, right? And so Jesus, look at him, he cried at the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus, who was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he knew that there was a time he understood that there's a moment to weep over the tragedy of death. And so it's appropriate. And if someone's grieving over the loss of a relationship or a breakup or a loss of, a, you know, grieving, it's like you're ripping off their jacket on a cold day, is what Proverbs says. And, and you might be saying the right things, but if you say it at the wrong time, it could hurt rather than heal. So you need to find the right words, truth in a timely way. So what's the right time? It's knowing when they are most receptive, when they are the most receptive. Proverbs 25, 11, says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Kind of had to ponder this one a bit. That the apple of gold is the truth. But the setting of silver is the way that I'm delivering it. It says a word fitly or aptly spoken. What does that mean? It means it fits in the moment. It fits in the moment that I'm thinking about. What's the right moment for you? To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good is it? That I might have a word, but I'm watching you to go, when would you be the most receptive to this word? And when can I encourage you? Many couples learn this early on in marriage, right? Um, you, you both have to discover this as you learn to live together. And so um, one of you comes back, you know, from a long day at work with all kinds of stuff in your mind. Maybe you've been working those muscles and the muscles are tired. So they're processing all of that, absolutely exhausted, 
and they just want to come home and all they want to do is collapse on the couch, right? Just collapse on the couch and give me a minute. Give me a, you know, a few minutes. And, but maybe the other spouse has been waiting to catch up on the day to talk with their soulmate. You know, let's visit. How was your day? You know, have you talked to so-and-so? Can you help me with this thing? And the, the other one is just like, it's too much. It's too much. I just need my couch time. You know, and so you have to become a good student of your spouse and realize their needs. Can I get an amen? <laughs> maybe he or she needs about 30 minutes. When they kind of come down and uh, when they come home, they just need to, you know, have some time where they can just go, hey, love you, hang on. And then the countdown starts, right? And then they collapse on the couch and they just slowly kind of deliver their burdens over to Jesus. And, you know, they, they, as, your, as your spouse waits, 30 minutes go by. And then, you know, I'll be all right. It's time to rise now. And I'm prepared and I'm interested. I'm invested in what my spouse is going to say to me. And when I interact with them, how are you doing? You know, they're like, you know, I'm doing great. And it's like, so-and-so, did you really? And they said this. No, did they really? And this is crazy. Can you hit me with this? Of course. And I did. And then I can't. And, and, you know, all of a sudden, there's so much life in this home just by inserting that extra 30 minutes um, into that time. So it's, it's being uh, aware of when they're most receptive. I remember for me, when I first started in a supervisory role, I was a security officer in downtown um, Dallas, and I had a boss tell me some of the best advice I ever got in this kind of realm. And he said, never mix community and corporate when you walk into the office. Um, as I got older... That meant, you know, he said, when you walk into the office, particularly in ministry, um, it means you have a communal relationship with, with people at some level. And he said, so if you just walk in and you go straight to corporate, you alienate people. You know, you, if you open the door and said, hey, have you called so-and-so? No? Well, get on it. Right? If you do that, their immediate response is going, isn't going to be, wow, he's so friendly. Right? When you go email this, have you done this? Okay, you haven't. We didn't finish that either. Well, we better get on it, you know, and then leave. They don't go, well, I love, you know, working with him. My quality of life just goes up and up and up every time he walks into the room because of his presence. Nobody's going to say that after that, right? And so you start with community. And so you walk and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Um, you know, how's your weekend? How's your mom? I heard she was sick. So you start with community. But he went even further than that, and he said, don't switch gears from just community directly to corporate. You know, how's your mom? Oh, she's sick. I'm sorry. Hey, have you sent that email yet? I better get on it. Because then if you do that, now what you've done is you made it feel like you're exploiting their, their emotions for your gain, right? And so now you're not just kind of rude, but you're also exploiting them, which is even worse. And so what do we do? What you do is you walk in, you say your piece, you know, how are you doing? How was your weekend? How's your mom? Is she, is she okay? You have that moment and then you leave. He was trying to help me out because Deanna and I, um, we were working the, uh, for the same company at the time, Barton Protective Services, and we had worked our way up the chain of command um, to, uh, we were, there was only seven people, I believe, at the time who had gone through their, their training experience that they had, which was uh, three different uh, courses, and we had gone through it, so they kind of had to promote us. And so they were putting us as supervisors over all these old retired uh, military um, ladies and gentlemen who didn't like to have a 20, 21-year-old supervisor. And so we were in a kind of tough spot, and he was trying to help us. And so we had a bunch of these guys that weren't so thrilled that we were there. And my boss said, you know, have the community conversation. Ask them about mom, you know, ask them how their day out the weekend was, and then walk to your station, go sit down, and just take a minute. Get settled, you know, arrange your pencils, put the sign-in board, you know, where you need to put it on the counter. He said, and then hey, head back to that office. And he said, oh, hey, you know, have you had a chance to reach out to Kevin yet? No, I haven't done that, but I'm going to get on that this morning. Oh, well, that's... That's wonderful, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. You're such a good boss. Hey, I'm blessed by you. I love you too. <laughs> and then you both leave and you go, what amazing people I work with, right? It's a different conversation and everybody wins by about that five minute gap. So you wait until they're receptive. And then there's even more to this, this text, waiting until you're the least reactive. When you're the least inclined to react, don't speak yet when you're in that position. There are so many Proverbs on this. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool 
than for him. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That, it's a foolish thing to just react because you tend to not understand the whole story, right? You've not found empathy to understand another person's point of view, but you're responding out of anger. And usually that doesn't bring consensus, it just brings more pain to both sides, right? And I can tell you, it was easy for me um, early on when, whenever people would question my decisions uh, after I'd uh, gain a position of, of authority or leadership. Even in ministry, you know, you get hate mail sometimes, you know, people just don't like something that you say or do and it happens. And for me, uh, it's easy to be taken off guard by it. And so I, I remember early on, somebody would, you know, email me something, um, even in, in youth ministry days, you know, something that I had, I had you know, made a, a decision and, 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 and my default reaction would be, they just don't understand, you know, why we made that decision. This is not a fair explanation of what we're trying to do. This was not our heart at all. And you get, you get defensive, right? You know, you're accusing me of, my, of motives that I don't have. And so this some stuff starts to rise up within you, right? And it's so easy to just write back an angry email and you started off, dear moron, right? <laughs> That's how you want to do it. You write a really angry response. You're like, you don't know me. You're so... Right? Thankfully, most of the time, I had enough sense to delete them. At least most of the time. And what I realized was if I send those, I'm going to be starting fires all over town, Right? I'm just like throwing fire out. And I just had enough sense like that much to go, you know, maybe I shouldn't hit send. And sometimes what I've learned to do, uh, what can be helpful for some of us is that if you send, if you have to give a response back like that, you send your response to a trusted friend or a trusted coworker first, someone else that works in the office and they can take a look at it. And they'll, you know, they'll go like, hey, uh, yeah, I saw your, I saw your email. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, let's sit on it, and maybe we'll work on that tomorrow morning. Let's sit on it overnight. <laughs> and you come back the next day and rework some of the wording, and they try to tighten up some of the language, and you work together on it. In some cases, totally change words. You know, so the email starts off, dear so-and-so, um, thank you so much for your investment in our ministry, your constructive Criticism will help us to be the best versions of ourselves. Thank you for investing in what God has done. <laughs> right? And you look at it and you think, this is nothing like my email. But it is so much better. <laughs> right? And thank God I had at least enough sense to not start thrusting rash words out into somebody's gut, into the community, because that would have inhibited ministry. Right? And so the reality is for some of us, man, before you just whip out comments online, before you just blurt out an offhand comment about a coworker, did you hear about so-and-so? They're so dumb. Just wait a second. The Bible says in the scriptures that we just read, wait, wait. So you're not so reactive. Why? So you can hear the rest of the story. You may not have all the information, so you can get some empathy I think the culture could benefit from some more empathy. Anybody? Um, let me understand where this person is coming from so I can understand their motivations. So then when I speak to them, it's not their, just an emotional reaction to my emotional reaction and we don't solve any issues. No, let me try to understand you. Let me slow down enough and then my wise words, if I have any, we're going to have a persuasiveness to it. It's the right words at the right time when they are the most receptive and when I'm the least reactive. And then I do it with a redemptive purpose. That when I do choose to bring the truth to you, and it may not be an easy truth to hear, my goal is not to destroy you. And I want to challenge you with that this morning. If, you, if your goal when you, you know, slash off something on social media is to destroy somebody, it's to, dis to destroy somebody, to burn them, to crush them, to own them. Does that sound like Jesus at all? Does that sound like Jesus? It doesn't really matter. Let me say this. It doesn't really matter if it's political. It doesn't matter if it's cultural. It doesn't matter the importance of the issue. Thank God that he wasn't like that with us, right? I mean, you know, he could have come down to earth. I came down here and you guys are all morons. And, you know, anyone has, he had the right to say that about anyone, but he was patient with us. 
and gentle with us. Why? So that he could change us. So that he could redeem us. And that as the people of Jesus, we go, you know what? I'm going to come in and my goal for you is redemption. If he came in to save me and he took Paul who was breathing out murderous threats in the New Testament and made him an instrument of God's grace, then may I use my words that way. That way we can help redeem somebody else, right? To help them be all they want to be under God, right? That I want to speak away like Proverbs 51 says, 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh is not what God wants. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Isn't that interesting? He, he picks the highest official, the king, and he says, if you're patient and gentle in the way you present arguments, you can persuade the king. The, the bone is the hardest part of your body. If you're gentle and persistent in the way that you present your words, you can break even the hardest opposition, is what he's saying. You can break through any opposition, influence, any mind, if the way you speak is gentle and patient. Do you see that? How many of you have ever had a significant view of yours change because someone was screaming at you? <laughs> I mean, I would imagine not many of us. You know, it's like, you know, I really, I held this really deeply held view until that person started screaming names at me. Oh, and then I just thought, you know, maybe this really mean person is right. <laughs> That's not how it happens. It usually just hardens both sides. But if I can speak with you gently, with empathy, with patience, I might just move even the heart of the king. I might break the hardest opposition. But if I'm speaking to redeem you, to move you, to change you for the better, the white ray is gracious and it's humble. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Wise talk is humble talk. Wise talk is humble talk. I'm not trying to come in over you, I come in under. That seems so countercultural in our culture. There's so many people who think, no, I've got to sell myself, man. I've got to tell everybody how good I am. I'm great at this and I can do that. But let me tell you something. Have you ever sat down at a meal with somebody that's doing that, who's listed off all the reasons why, you know, that they're, you know, awesome? And you're like, I'm so glad I'm here listening to you as they rattle off point number 12. I'm like, I'm sold. Thank you. I feel more alive as a result of sitting here in this conversation right now. Does anybody feel that? No. <laughs> you don't need to tell people on why you're awesome. Just be you. Be awesome. And trust that they're going to get that. Here's an idea. Wherever you go, make the decision to be gracious, gentle, encouraging, and helpful. Let's find all throughout the Proverbs. I'm going to be a force of life in this community. I watched this with my daughter, Cynthia. Um, who's been working for a few years now in elderly care community. And she just did whatever is needed. Can I help you get from here to there? Um, is there any other way that I can uh, serve you? Let me know. And she just sort of helped people and those around her and her community. And, um, you know, they noticed her words and her work ethic. And just after a short time in her field, she's all of a sudden a supervisor. How did that happen? Which was, it wasn't because she goes, excuse me, sir, you know, here's three reasons why I'm amazing. And here's two reasons why you should hire me. It was, you know, what she did was she was gracious, she was kind, she was encouraging, she helped others, she blessed others, and she was blessed right back. That's how it works. A redemptive way of speaking is not humble and it's not arrogant. Last thing is this, it's private. It's private. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. What it's saying is when I'm, when I'm going to speak, I find the most redemptive path, and I'm not going to be a gossip. I'm not going to try to rip people, but I'm going to say things in a helpful way. And you probably remember that friend in high school that would talk bad about everybody behind their back right? And, and we kind of maybe, we kind of liked it because the book of Proverbs will say that gossip is like a sweet morsel. It's like a candy. Some of us like hearing the latest news, the latest gossip. But when you think about it and you hear him speaking, that guy would gossip about everybody, including friends you knew were closer friends to him than you. And so hopefully it dawns on us at some point, you know, if he's doing that to them, I bet he's doing it to me. I bet he's saying the ugliest things about me to other people, and we don't like that. Now, does that mean that you don't report something bad um, that's happening to you? No. It means that you find the most redemptive path. So if you're in an unhealthy relationship that's dangerous, you need to share that with the community that we can help you, right? 
But what he's saying is if you have someone in the normal course of life who's hurt your feelings, you don't go and tell seven people because you wouldn't want him to do that to you. And all you're going to do is separate, not heal. You come to that person and you seek reconciliation. My words have power. They can change things. God wants to change communities through his people. Some of us, we need to try to get complaining out of our vocabulary. Don't complain about your boss anymore. You know, let me tell you something. When, you're, when honor goes up, what comes down many times is opportunity typically comes down. And for some of you, the most world-changing thing you'll do is put honor in your community. Find words, find ways to bless people. Find ways to tell someone, hey, you did a great job with that, man. That was so awesome. So where do the wise words come from? You might have thought this, if, and you are right, if you're already tracking here. Um, it's come around to this for every single message from the series. It comes from being around wise people. Proverbs 13 says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. You want to speak life-giving words? Get around people who speak life-giving words. Um, you want to speak intelligent words that help others? Get around wise people that can help you use those words. Remember from a few Sundays ago, we talked about how Paul told the Philippians to scope out those in the community who walk according to the pattern that he's given us and imitate them. Well, so when I first walk into a church community like this, if I needed help with parenting, I'd look around for families, you know, with really healthy, well-adjusted kids, and I would look for their parents, and I would go to meet them and ask them questions because I want to raise kids like that. So how do you do it? And so seek out wisdom, and by seeking out wisdom, I become wise. You can do the same. Get around a community seeking after Jesus, and then seek out the wise. The Word of God, all throughout the book of Proverbs, we're begged incline your ear, listen to my words, take them in, there'll be life to your bones. Get the words of God into you. In the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you feel like in, in, in the moment I'm not wise, ask God to help you. And then there's the book of Proverbs where I've read from one of the Bibles that I own, it says this. It says it's to provide wisdom to the simple life. We're simple sometimes. We need wisdom. And as we're reading through these Proverbs together, many of us have been on the reading plan um, together. We'll start seeing friends um, who maybe are making poor decisions when we are making wise ones. And I'm not saying this to pump us up, but what I'm saying is whoever walks with the wise will become wise. And as we ask God for wisdom, he gives it generously. So as we dig deeper into God's wisdom, you might find maybe for the first time in your life, some people coming to you for some advice and for wisdom on some tough stuff, on some problems in their life. And it's not because you're brilliant, but it's because you've put yourself in the way of wisdom. So get around the word of God. The last thing I would say is this, what's really going to make us wise is a change of heart. And this is where this comes from. It's a change of heart. Proverbs 10, 20 says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Do you catch a difference there? Do you catch the difference? It compares the tongue and the heart because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The Bible will say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What you choose to say isn't ultimately determined by anything out there. It's determined by what's happening in here. Jesus is the one who said that. So if all of this sermon just comes to, I'm just trying to get y'all to act nicer, you know, you can rage with hate within, but say it really kindly, that's not, that doesn't really work. The, the goal of this message isn't so you can put a jar in your car that every time you swear you could put a coin in it. That's not it. Would you stand there with me as we close? That's not it. The Bible will say, guard your heart. The Bible will say in the book of Proverbs 4, it's the fountain of life. Your heart is the fountain of life. So what's going on in your heart will determine what comes out of your mouth. And so if your heart's all about woundedness and pain, what's going to come out? Anger is what's going to come out. If, if your heart's all about redemption and grace, the love of God, you'll speak words of life. It's what's going on in your heart. James will say, as he's talking about the, as he's talking about the tongue, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He says, if, you're, if what you're saying is always salty, it's because that's going on in here. 
what's going on in here. What you need is not a change of your words. You need a change of the wellspring of your life. And let me tell you something. That's God's business because only God can change hearts. Only God can change hearts. That's what Jesus came to do. He says, when I make the tree good, then the fruit will be good, right? And so in the Old Testament, Isaiah, when it first dawned on him to see God in all of his glory, what did he say? He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. And what happened at that moment? Did, did God say, you sure are, and here's three reasons how to get clean lips? <laughs> That's not what God said. That's not what God did. What happened in that moment? God came down from the altar and he touched him. That. He touched him and that changed him. And the grace of God is touching you and that will change you, right? That will change us. What happened by the end? Then God says, the world needs to know about my truth and needs the world about my love. Who's gonna go? And Isaiah, who moments before was a self-proclaimed man of unclean lips, was now a man that was saying, okay, God, here I am, send me. If you need a voice, if you need a mouthpiece, let me be that mouthpiece. Let me be your voice. Let me be used. So, you know, I, I've been touched by the grace of Jesus. So now I'm a part of the blessing crowd, the speaking life crowd. I'm a part of the, the, the one who's redemptive in their speech crowd. Yeah, I used to be the negative crowd, but now I'm not because, not because I'm so great and not because of a list of rules, but because the grace of God touched me. And because he touched me, forgiveness came in places I thought would never be forgiven. Healing came into parts I always thought would be broken. Forgiveness came in things that I always thought I'd be guilty of. The grace of Jesus came and touched me. And he took all of that shame onto the cross and he buried it in the grave. So his very life could land into me. So the negativity of my heart could be rebirthed. That the childhood negativity that had been spoken into me doesn't become the negativity in my mouth in the future, but the grace of Jesus on the cross becomes the grace that comes out of my lips. Amen? For the blessing of not just me, but everybody around me as well. That's the glory of what the gospel is presenting. Jesus will change you from the inside out. You want a mouth that speaks life and you need to embrace the word of life. Amen. Father God, we love you. We love your word to us this morning. Help us this morning, God. Your grace covers us to use words that speak life at the right time, in the right moment, in the right way. To bring redemption, to bring life wherever we go. There is power of life and death in the time. And let us be wise as we go out and use our words today. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you know that you slipped away, you have an opportunity this morning to step back into the life that is better than you can think of or imagine. John 10, 10, full of purpose. And so we want to give you that opportunity this morning. If that's you, raise your hand up high in the air with nobody looking around. We want to pray with you this morning. Go ahead and do that right now. Is there anybody in this room? All right, Father God, we're sent ones this morning. May we speak your words of life. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen, amen.